holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you for being here as always. We're heading into an Arsenal-free weekend. Yeah, that's right. Because of TV, we're not playing until Monday night when we go to Manchester, to Old Trafford, to take on Man United. We will be getting a Man United perspective on things a little bit later on in the show. So stick around for that sort of crossover Manchester United Arsenal chat with Musa Kwanga, who, of course, has been on the show before. Uh, so we'll be chatting to Musa a bit later on. We will, of course, have lots of Arsenal chat as well. I'll be speaking to James Benj in a few minutes' time. Lots to get through with him, including the captaincy, whatever might happen there, of course, because the players have all uh, made a vote. That was the story. They've all had a vote on who might become captain or who's going to be part of the captaincy group for Unai Emery. What's going to happen is they're going to take the votes, they're going to tally the votes, and in a sort of proportional representation style, they're going to whittle them down to about 10 From there, they're going to set up a committee, and the committee is going to sit and discuss at length each candidate for the captaincy. The committee is called the Captaincy Remit Advisory Project, or CRAP for short. Then, at some point in the next six to eight weeks, they will make a recommendation to Unai Emery, who will then take it to the Football Executive Committee at the Club Raul Senyehi, Per Mertesacker, Edu, uh, Josh Kroenke will be involved there, and they'll have a massive board meeting about who is going to be in the captaincy group. In the end, Raul will say, Unai, make up your mind. And Unai will then go back to the players and have another vote And by this time next year, we will absolutely know who is one of our five captains, at least one. That's guaranteed. So it's uh, it's going to be fun to see how all that plays out. But it has been a good week. It's been a really good week um, from a football point of view, you know, on the pitch. We actually beat Aston Villa, even though it was a crazy, ludicrous um, kind of game. And... Not one that would have soothed many nerves, but what we saw on Tuesday night in the Carabao Cup was really, really very encouraging indeed because we got young players playing against a a pretty decent Nottingham Forest team. Uh, They weren't as adventurous as I thought they might be, but there really were a lot of positives on the night, like Gabriel Martinelli scoring twice on his home debut, Reese Nelson scoring his first Arsenal goal, Joe Willock scoring again, Bakayo Saka coming on and having a, a really positive impact. Callum Chambers pulling out a hat-trick of assists. And then we got, like, the really good stuff. Kieran Tierney's debut. 
Rob Holding starting a game for the first time since last December and coming through it unscathed and scoring a goal. Hector Bellerin coming back and playing his first game since January and getting an assist. So there was loads to like about that game against Nottingham Forest. And I hope when Unai Emery is thinking about his team and he's thinking about some of the performances that his so-called first team have put in this season, and he looks at these young players and he looks at you know people like Torreira, who many people feel should be in our Premier League team, if you like, having a really good game and showing that you know there is life to midfield beyond some of the players, you know who who have frustrated us a little. So it remains to be seen whether or not the head coach is going to take all that into account, but I really hope that he does. The reward for beating uh, Nottingham Forest in the Carabao Cup is a game against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. But, you know, I I think they have some of the same issues that we have in terms of prioritizing the Premier League. So they're not going to send out their first team in that game. We're not going to send out our first team in that game and let whoever we send out have a good crack at each other and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out for us, It's only the Carabao Cup. And if it does, hopefully we'll get another game to give these kids some more playing time uh, alongside the uh, bits and pieces that they're going to get in the Europa League as well. So there you go. Let's move on then and let's speak to our first guest. We're going to talk all things Arsenal and we might as well talk to the Arsenal man from Football London. It's James Bench. Hi, James. Hiya. Let's start with a story that's just broken at the time of recording because I want to talk to you about midweek and what great fun the the Carabao Cup was and the young players and everything else. But it sort of ties into the blog that I wrote today about the captaincy. Um, and my feeling is that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang should be given the captaincy. But, but Rob Holding has revealed that the players were invited to put forward their preferred choices during a blind ballot at London Colney. I'm just reading this on um, uh, on goal from Charles Watts. Sorry, I wasn't reading it on Football London, James, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> so basically, Unai Emery has told the squad to name the players that they want in the captaincy group. Uh, this is a bit bizarre. It's really weird. I couldn't quite believe it when he, he said it. Um, it's just a bit sort of like... From Emery's perspective, it feels a little bit like, right, lads, I can't be bothered with this. And people have been asking me about it for months. So can you sort it? Like, can some, you know, the sort of can somebody else do it, as as Homer Simpson would say? Like, <laughs> it, it, it's just, I understand it's important to get the input of the squad and all that. But, you know, holding when he was talking about it, he was talking about as like as in as as a way of, I'm not going to be hearing about this for days maybe weeks um, and this was something he said to us after the game on on Tuesday night so it, it just seems like another way of sort of wasting time and taking to make a decision that kind of feels like it could have been made a while ago because I completely agree with you. I have to, I'm increasingly coming to the view that Aubameyang should be captain, but like we all know Granit Xhaka is going to get the job, so what is the point? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if a few weeks ago Emery had made the decision, you know, if he'd given it to Xhaka then, for example, you know, um, how does it shape the future of the team, of the midfield? I mean, I think we can see... Leaving aside the reception that he got against Villa and and there were other issues this season um, where he's got a bit of stick from fans, you know, you look at the performance against Watford, for example. You look at the performance against Villa and I realise 
Carabao Cup is not necessarily reflective of of what your team um, can and will be in the Premier League. But you look at a midfield of Torreira, uh, Joe Willock, Ceballos is in there uh, eventually. Actually, when he replaced um, Ozil, that's a different story altogether. But we've got Genduzi there as well. And it feels like our midfield is in the process of hopefully of being restructured to something that works a bit better in the Premier League. And Granit Xhaka, uh, with all due respect to him, has been part of a midfield that, that hasn't really worked uh, since he arrived at the club. It's like, do we need the right partner for Xhaka? You know, is he that Goldilocks player that requires the perfect guy alongside him in order to operate to the best of his ability? And it would just feel a bit odd, given everything that's going on, to, to give it to Xhaka. Yeah, I, I I agree in terms of he's a, a really weird fit in the midfield and he's just so slow that you have to then put someone deep alongside him and then the midfield gets really plodding and, and a bit slow and very uninspiring. Uh, or you have, you know, you, you know, Torreira can't do everything, which is effectively what you get. But then Emery has never, ever ceased to sort of stand up for Xhaka. And, and I, you know, I put the question to him after the Villa game and it was he was really forceful in getting across that, you know, Xhaka is a really good player. You talk to people at Arsenal and they go, you basically, they basically say, look, you, you lot don't see it. You don't see what Xhaka does well. And I, I'm right. I, they're right. I don't see it. I don't think many Arsenal fans see it. And he can have good games, but even so, you just think how much better would the base of midfield be with someone who can move around a bit more, whether mm. it's Gwendouzi, you know, how much more balanced does a 4-3-3 look without Xhaka in in it. Yeah, he's a great leader. He's he's really good off the pitch. He's he's a great spokesman for Arsenal. He collects all the fines. He uh, looks after the keys to the dressing room, I assume. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, he, he seems like a really great guy, but sometimes I just think maybe the Premier League and its stupid breakneck pace just doesn't suit him. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are teams that could bring the best out of Xhaka but like this Arsenal team under Emery I just don't think it can no I mean that's it if if you were seeing improvement and if you were seeing Xhaka becoming more influential then you could say even if he's not the, the fans favorite you could see the logic in Emery keeping him I do wonder if there are if there's a training ground Xhaka and a match day Xhaka like he's the best he's the best trainer at the club Everyone will tell you. I've you, heard you that. It's harder in training than anyone else. I've heard but, that. Yeah. You got to. It's about how you perform on the pitch. Yeah. Do you, I mean they were the same? Uh, I remember with Lukas Fabianski, where on the training ground he was phenomenal, absolutely unbelievable. But in a match day situation with the different pressures and the different responsibilities and and everything that comes with that, you know, in the early part of his career. Um, he wasn't really able to to manage that as well as he should have. And obviously he's matured into a uh, a much better goalkeeper now, having gone away uh, to Swansea and then to, to West Ham. But I wonder if something similar is, is, is the case with Xhaka, that on the training ground, when they do this passing out from the back drills, you know, is he the guy who looks absolutely sensational at London Colney, but when he's faced with like maybe genuine opposition because training training is training as hard as you try in training you can't quite replicate the edge to a match and you know in those circumstances he has those those brain farts those those uh, issues that have peppered his uh, time at the club since he joined 
Yeah, because it's about pressure, isn't it? And I don't think Jacker works well under pressure, and that's why he makes so many of his mistakes. You just think this is this is about you not thinking correctly. It's not about you know your technique. And actually, you know, as much as we say he's he's not the quickest, it's not normally about his his lack of pace either. It is more about you know are you switched on? And in training, you kind of don't have to be as switched on, do you? It's yeah. Oh, it's. <laughs> It's incredibly frustrating when you see Emery persevere with Xhaka and you, you see the, the players around him. And I haven't really seen any of the other midfielders uh, performing, you know, disappointingly this season. I think everyone else has done really well, but trying to force all these square pegs in round holes so that they can fit around Xhaka, it, it's not really good for anyone. And, it, you know, Granite Xhaka doesn't deserve to get booed. Um, not No player really deserves to get booed at the Emirates, but... I also, you, Emery has kind of created this situation where we can only see the worst sides of Xhaka and we're not really getting to see the best yeah. player we can. And it may make, and he's so defensive about him that it, it just has turned Xhaka into a lightning rod for everything that Arsenal fans find frustrating, which, you know, I feel sorry for the guy about that. But. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I think you've hit the nail on the head there a bit that he becomes the on-pitch manifestation of the frustration that people feel with... The manager and the decisions that he makes in terms of his team selections, his team formations, his, his uh, you know, the way that he wants the team to play and as much as we can try and figure that out. Um, but just sort of going back to the captaincy thing and this idea that he has, you know, taken a, a democratic vote on the training ground, which, uh, you know, democracy, as we all know, is a dangerous thing these <laughs> days. Um, but, uh, you know, does it speak to a kind of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? An inability to make up his own mind, a lack of decisiveness on the part of the coach to actually make a decision and stand by it. Because if he truly, honestly, 100% believed in Jack as his captain, he'd have done it by now. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like he's sort of passing the book a little bit here. So, so there's a, I mean, you may know better than me, but there is a sort of Spanish thing of, you have a second choice captain and a third choice captain and a fourth choice captain and so on and so on. And that, you know, so I think he, he might think it's quite odd how Arsenal fans are sort of so confused by this never ending list of captains, but you are absolutely right that it, 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 it felt very odd not to confirm the club captain, but also to allow Xhaka or to, to make Xhaka do all the things that a club captain has to do. Like, I always laugh whenever I pick up a programme at the Emirates now and it's got Granite Xhaka's voice from the dressing room. It's not the captain's notes. It's the voice from the dressing room that only Granite Xhaka will speak with. It just, it feels like it's like he's being really indecisive that he maybe thinks, I wish someone else would emerge as captain, but he's not really got that option there. I mean, and you end up having these really odd conspiracy theories. Personally, I wonder, was he waiting for Rob Holding to be fit and he plans to main, name Holding as, as club captain um, because he's got a bit more of a, an Arsenal connection? Or was he waiting to see how Aubameyang settled into the new season? It's really weird. It just, just it's turning what should be a sort of minor issue into something much bigger. And he's certainly got to the stage now where if he doesn't name Xhaka club captain, it it looks like a demotion and it looks like he's uh, yeah. he's, he's 
dropped him. Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the things that Emery appears to be quite good at is turning minor issues into things that people can't stop oh, yeah. talking about because of the way he deals with with certain situations. And, you know, I'm obviously thinking about the Mesut Ozil situation in midweek where he, you know, he made him, you know, a £350,000 a week player captain for a League Cup game and then took him off after 70 minutes. You know, and whatever you, whatever way you want to try and justify that, the optics of it lend themselves to to discussion and and you might also say that perhaps some of the some of the indecision or the you know the the talk of players not necessarily knowing what they're supposed to be doing on the pitch that could be reflective of of Emery's character as well in that if he can't make a decision about something as simple as a captain and he's chopping and changing his team selection his formation play out from the back don't play out from the back you know it's it's little wonder that there's confusion yeah. The only thing I, I would say is a potential mitigating factor here, and this just kind of goes back to what you said in the blog today, is that thing of has it allowed other leaders to emerge? This idea that, you know, the captain, that there's a, a void of leadership, and Emery's almost challenging the group to say, go ahead and fill it. Now, I don't necessarily believe this, but I wonder if this is like maybe his justification for it. And, you know, as you pointed out with the Bamiyang, he's. He's seen this this void in leadership, and, and uh, we've seen a side to Aubameyang that you know. I mean, we were told the opposite when he joined for Dortmund. Yeah. He was going to be this flashy diva, and he's. I mean, are you, Mike, I suspect you'll have seen the same thing on the tour as well, where you know, whenever you saw Aubameyang, he had three or four young players around him, and he was guiding them through, yeah. you know, fan events and all that. He, he has been amazing, and I think that's been the one positive to all this nonsense about the captaincy is that you've seen players that you would never have thought of as leaders like Aubameyang have really emerged and been just great guys and you know he's you're right he's the one that should have the armband yeah I mean look I think we have to start looking to the future and ask, you know, is Granite Jack a part of our really long-term future? No, probably not. He's a player that we we need to to move away from. Um, Aubameyang, at uh, 30 years of age, okay, he's not going to be here for ages and ages, but you'd like him to stay for another couple of seasons at least because he's got that goal-scoring ability. And what you have then is the ability to, to give a nod to the future where you've got Rob Holding coming through. You've got uh, Hector Bellerin uh, there as well, who would be great representatives for the football club. And if you are going to make a decision about five captains or however many captains you want, think about who's going to be around and think about who are the uh, people you're going to put trust in and leadership in. And uh, yeah, if if there is a positive in delaying it, it might be the fact that the group we've got now is potentially different from the group we would have got four, five, six weeks ago. Yeah, I, I, I think that. I think that holding even in in one game, I know it's a small sample size, but you know, talking to him afterwards as well, you can see that he and I mean he spoke about Hector Bellerin on this as well that they've both really grown up, and I think this time on the sidelines has has matured them. They were they were obviously they were not kids anyway beforehand, and they played a lot for Arsenal, but it's made them slightly stronger mentally. I think it's. Um, you know, having players like who have been through those things as your leaders in a dressing room, uh, it helps an awful lot. And I know that uh, Holding has spoken in the past about the influence that Koscielny and, and Mertesacker had in his recovery. And yeah. you, you're right that what they kind of what they could choose to build here 
if they don't go down the sort of obvious route of Socrates and Luis and Ozil and players that, uh, I'm sure some of them will be captains, but players that aren't really the future of Arsenal is, you know, trust these these young players. It, it's something Wenger never did until it was too late with Ramsey and Wilshere, and he never really handed them the leadership responsibility. And I, I think they would all have been better players for it. Yeah, mm. I, I think there's some great leaders coming through. I, I'm really excited to see... Rob Holding as a captain. I'm not sure if Bellerin will get it, but he definitely should. Yeah. Um, he's an exemplary um, footballer for any young footballer to look up to. Mm, all right. Well, look, this is, this is all going to play out uh, when we get the results of the uh, the ballad, obviously, uh, <laughs> and we'll see what, what they all wrote uh, on their various things. Someone will leak it, no doubt. It'll be on someone's Instagram story, and we can all have a good chat about it as and when that happens. But, has David Bornstein not got it already? Uh, I'm sure he does, but he's just waiting to... Uh, you know, it'll be his first piece on The Athletic. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... Let's talk about some of the young players because midweek we had a really enjoyable win over Nottingham Forest in the in the Carabao Cup and enjoyable Arsenal games have been a little bit thin on the ground of late. Emery didn't have a great deal of choice in terms of the, the kind of team he could pick simply because we'd played two days earlier and there was just no way he could use the the senior players. Not that I think he would have anyway, but... I think for me the most encouraging thing about it is the is the fact that some of these young players are hammering on his door mm. to say I deserve to be considered at the very least deserve to be considered for Premier League action. You might say okay Gabriel Martinelli with his two goals what a great way to cap your home debut and uh, you know playing at center forward you know, he's not going to oust Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That's not going to be the case. But we come back to midfield where Joe Willock and Lucas Torreira are are saying, pick me. Where Callum Chambers, um, with three assists following a goal against Aston Villa, is saying, pick me. Uh, Rob Holding has come back into the side and fitness permitting, he's saying, pick me. Kieran Tierney, pick me. Hector Bellerin, not quite there yet, but you can see that these guys are are going to maybe reshape the first team as we see it right now. Oh, definitely. And I think one of the joys, if you look at the, the ones at the, the top of the pitch, is you can feel this competition between the young players. Like Reese Nelson, who I, I personally started the season a little bit slowly, you know, he's seen obviously what Saka had done in th- on Thursday and uh, Sunday when he started so well against Villa. And it just felt a bit like Nelson came on the pitch and he was like, right, I've got a proper rival here. And, you know, I want to prove to Unai Emery that it should be me and not Saka. And there, there is a real sense of, of competition throughout the squad, I think, I think now. I mean... You know, I, I suspect one of David Luiz or Socrates will will start at Old Trafford, maybe both of them. But you know, it's a very different atmosphere when you've got uh, Rob Holding ready to step in at a moment's notice, and you know, so composed uh, against Forest when you've got Chambers sort of saying, "Actually, you know, I'm not. I'm not only a centre back; I can play in any position, and I think he'll start as, as a right back at Old Trafford." And that is, you're right. That's the case across the park. It's it's a brilliant dilemma for Emery to have. And I think the one thing that, that he deserves credit for is that, you know, he doesn't age is, is just a number to him. We've seen that with Guendouzi. We saw that with Saka at the weekend when I suspect he, he dropped Ozil to make room for Saka. Um, you know, if these players are playing well, he will pick them. Uh, and that might mean that, you know, David Luiz 
or Socrates, one or the other, misses out um, to, to make way for, for holding. I think Kolasinac is, you know, he's not played well enough. Tierney will probably start on Monday night. It's, it's so good to have this competition. It's, it's not been apparent often enough of late with Arsenal. And I think, you know, in midfield, up front, even in defence, you know, you can't just be making sloppy errors now and expect to keep your place in the team. No. That's great for Arsenal. Yeah, it is. And look, we're, we're looking at some players who are upgrades and as bravely and uh, gainfully as Ainsley Maitland-Niles has tried to mm. be a right-back, Hector Bellerin is an upgrade in that position when he's fully fit. Kieran Tierney is a big upgrade on Kolasinac. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, he's on a, on a path to, to full fitness now. Um, having been out for, for a little while. Rob Holding, you know, still quite young for a central defender, only 24, but, you know, he looks like a player who who kind of feels like he belongs now at Arsenal, doesn't he? Because he, he, he impressed um, when he arrived to the club first, and he, I think he had a difficult second season, and then he ended the, the, the season, you know, with a with an FA Cup winner's medal and that incredible um, back three performance against Chelsea. But, you know, he feels, or he looks to me like a guy who really feels like he belongs and somebody who is ready to take his chance because he's looking at Louise, he's looking at Socrates, he's looking at who else there is. Mustafi is there. Um, Mavropanos is there. And he must be thinking, yeah, there's a position here in this Arsenal team for me that I can absolutely nail down for this season and seasons beyond. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, almost the same might be true at an England level for Rob Holding as well. I mean, you know, he has everything he needs. And I think, you know, you go back to that FA Cup final, which I always think of as a bit of a sort of pivot point in his career, because he, he was going, he, he was not going backwards, but he wasn't progressing at the rate he might have liked. Um, and he, he, ever since that day, he's looked so much more assured. I, I don't actually. I wonder how many games he's lost since then as well, because mm. he's a bit in and out of the team. Um, and he didn't lose a single game last season because what he radiates that you, you know Emery will will appreciate and will trust is just an absolute surety on the ball. You know, you kind of watching him um, on Tuesday night, you kind of think, well, I need to keep an eye on Rob Holding. I need to see what he's doing, but actually. You, you know, you look up an hour through the game, you're like, I haven't noticed him do anything. And for an Arsenal defender, that's a really good state of affairs. He just got on with things. He was, you know, there was nothing too exciting or showy about it. He got the ball, he passed the ball. I think he only misplaced one of um, 73, 74 passes. He's just, he's just reliable. And, you know, that is, it's a huge thing to have, um, as, a, as a, a player in any team, but particularly in that Arsenal defence, just you know that if Rob Holding plays, he's probably not going to throw a rick. Yeah. Yeah, not in the same way that the others do. I mean, I think it's going to take him maybe a bit of time to get back to, to, to full match sharpness and match fitness, and there might be a little bump or two in the road along the way, which is only to be only to be expected, but just he doesn't seem to have that uh, in his game, and you know we're not jinxing him um, here or anything, but that, that hasn't been a feature. Let's just go a, a little bit further forward. Um, I think some fans will be um, a little bit vexed at seeing Lucas Torreira in the Carabao Cup team because when we talk about reshaping the midfield and um, not repeating the same mistakes, not repeating the same errors and the same problems with team selection, you know, Torreira feels like a guy who could be part of something in our midfield, but 
at the same time, it doesn't quite feel like Emery is on board with that or as on board with him as, as we might be as fans. It's really weird. I'm, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I do wonder if he's a sort of real casualty of, of Xhaka. If I, th- I think, if you think about the way that Emery want, wants, in theory, to play with Arsenal, he wants to be a team that wins the ball high up the pitch and presses energetically. And I think he likes the idea of Torreira playing quite high up, in a sort of similar way to how Maurizio Sarri uh, played uh, Kante last yeah. season. And we, you know, we all know what sort of drama that led to around Chelsea. I kind of agree with him that actually the best bet with Torreira is to have him high up the pitch, winning the ball back. But you can't do that if, if behind him is Granit Xhaka who, who can't cover much of the pitch. So you end up in this weird situation where, you know, again, if, if you want to play Xhaka, you maybe could play Torreira alongside him, but then you're, you know, you're not winning the ball where you want to. So, I think Emery is still trying to figure out a way of, of of fitting him into the team. And I do worry that potentially, and this isn't me reporting anything or anything like that, I, that potentially Emery won't figure that out and he'll think, I need someone a bit different. Maybe I need a more, um, a taller, more robust <laughs> midfield shield. I think it, it's kind of quite well known that, that Emery wanted to sign Steve Manzonzi before Torreira came Um and obviously the Arsenal recruitment team did a very good job uh, talking Emery into Torreira, but yeah, he definitely doesn't hasn't quite worked out how to fit him in, in with all the other midfielders he, yeah. he has this season. For me, it's Gwendouzi at the base, it's Torreira on one side and, and Ceballos on the other. It seems quite obvious, but, but no what, one pays me to what, what makes you What makes you think that's the best way to use Torreira when, you know, at, at international level he's used at the base uh, of a midfield diamond um, quite often. Uh, I know we've played the diamond to uh, ill effect, uh, and it's not really a formation that I particularly want to see, but, you know, I could see Torreira and Genduzi as part of a, a double pivot, for example, and you have Ceballos, uh, the one ahead of that, perhaps. Um, you know, I think when we when we talk about how exposed our back four is, it just strikes me that a player who has a, a really, probably the best player or the best midfielder, certainly in the squad, in terms of how he reads the game, his defensive positioning, mm. his defensive actions, to play him in a position where he's being asked to win the ball higher up the pitch. I can see some logic in that because you want to, like, uh, you know, use those transitions to get teams running backwards and and uh, and maybe hit them on the break, etc. But uh, the, the Villa game, for example, like I said this on the podcast with, with, with James on Monday, is like the the way that Villa could just find themselves on the edge of our box, from the edge of their own box, in mm. two or three really simple passes, it just it just highlighted the dysfunction of the defensive part of our midfield, which I think was basically non-existent. And that's why I think with Torreira... Um, I would play him either as um, a single uh, defensive midfielder or as part of a double pivot with with Genduzi and use somebody a bit further ahead because um, it just feels like the best fit and the best way to try and protect our our, our back four, or certainly the centre of our defence. And to me, 
I think the only reason that it's not happening is because Emery doesn't think a player with his physical profile can do that job. Yeah, I think you're definitely true on the on that last point. I think it's a risk re- reward sort of thing, and for me, I think there are the, the benefits of of winning the ball so high up the pitch and just being able to give it to Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette, and getting them to score outweigh the sort of potential you know, solidity that you get from having Torreira sitting deep. Now, I wouldn't say, you know, Torreira has to play high up the pitch and you just, you know, if you're against Manchester City and you know you're going to be holding out and, and trying to just win the ball mm. you know, on the base of your box because you can't, they'll pass through your press, then absolutely, I completely agree, you play Torreira deep and you have your best tackler, you know, deep. But, I think if the defence and the the shield are sufficiently mobile and, and function well enough, I just want to get the ball high up the pitch. And, and when it works, like boy, does it work! Like Torreira against Spurs, you know, both of the home league games against Spurs, he's been winning the ball so high up the pitch, and it's it's really prompting those those issues. Um, and I think obviously you adapt this you say who is the who are the center backs and the defensive midfielder we're, we're pressing up to and potentially if these are solid ball players if they're players that aren't going to be making clumsy errors if they come under pressure then you you can drop Torreira back but i mean i i'd like arsenal and i'd like emery to just be a little bit more ambitious and mm. kind of you know this def- hopefully when you have better defenders behind you the overall defense is a little bit more effective and then you can really get on with trying to win the ball high up the pitch and then give it, give it to Aubameyang and Lacazette and let them do what they do. It might just be a little bit more fun. I, I don't really mind that Arsenal sometimes a bit of a train wreck defensively because it, um, it at least keeps me amused and some of Emery's <laughs> games are not the most amusing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one way of looking at it, all right. I'm glad, <laughs> glad that your your particular glass in that situation is is more half full than mine is. Three, three quarters full at least. Three quarters full. Wow, you really you really do have the silver linings going on. But uh, you know, you you talk about ambition. Um, do you feel like Monday's game against United is a game in which Emery will will show some ambition, um, or do you feel like? He's going to kind of default to what he's done throughout this season so far in that, you know, we're facing a reputationally big team, if not a big team that's playing particularly well at the moment, only four wins from their last 15 Premier League games across uh, this season and the end of last season. Um, It feels like the kind of fixture that Emery gets his cautious hat on for if I can say it that way I really fear that's going to be the case because you know I I don't you you kind of sometimes feel like the managers at top sides when they're coming up against this Man United team they act like they're coming up against you know a a proper Man United team not this clown car um, that they've got at the moment yeah and they're almost the ones that, that treat United with respect and then you see West Ham and they just go well you know, what What have we got to be afraid of? I think Emery should play whatever he views as his best side in an attacking sense um, and go for the jugular because, you know, uh, you know the Arsenal defence might be bad, but United's is dreadful. United's midfield is dreadful. I don't think you need to, uh, you know, beef up the numbers and, and play Xhaka, Torreira, Guendouzi to, to, to overcome 
um, United particularly. I don't know if they'll have Pogba or not, but either way, it's like you sh- if he's serious about developing an identity and a, a, a swagger to Arsenal and bringing that back in the way that Arsenal used to have under Arsene Wenger, you've got to go to Old Trafford right now and think this is a, a way we can kill off Man United and, uh, and really establish that they're not at the same level as us. And I think that would be huge for the fan base and huge for Arsenal and to give them a, a sense of momentum. I fear that it won't happen. But yeah, the, even if you don't win... I, it better to go and draw two all and it for it to be a thrilling game and maybe you're robbed by David De Gea than you know you've fought congratulations you've you've held your own and drawn one all because Aubameyang nicked a goal right? yeah no go I show them what Arsenal are yeah exactly I mean I don't really have any faith that he is trying to develop that kind of an identity but I think you're absolutely right about the approach you know they're not in a good situation they're they're struggling I know we haven't been exactly brilliant you know the Watford game was <laughs> nuts and the Villa game uh, as as much as it ended on a, a crescendo of excitement and enjoyment you know 10 minutes from time before Callum Chambers um, had scored that equaliser you know the, the mood wasn't particularly great so you know it shows you how quickly things can change but I also think that you're absolutely right, that if you go there and you you have a go and you look to try and exploit their weaknesses and it doesn't come off, at least people would say, well, at least we went to have a go. Whereas if you do something like we did, um, you know, against Liverpool, where you go in with a kind of... Even if understandable inferiority complex, it's very hard to, to win people over in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understood, yeah, I understood it against Liverpool because I don't think there's any shame in being worse than the European champions. No, no, but- no, no, I don't think so either. But it's just, you know, uh, sometimes it's- you've got to take a chance and he, d- yeah, he and doesn't really do fun. it that often. It, it, it's fun to go and, you know, to go to, to, to be able to say to Man United fans, well, even if you beat us, you got lucky, we played really well we played you off the park and if Arsenal go out and play their game they'll play Man United off the park right you know barring a sort of miraculous performance from Paul Pogba and you know the one I come back to is when Arsenal lost 3-1 at the Emirates a couple of years back and De Gea had the sort of game of his life and I don't think anyone looks back on that now and goes oh I wish you know I wish Wenger played it a bit safer and we hadn't got caught on the counter-attack because we had all these men forward. You just think it was a brilliant game. We gave it our all and sometimes, you know, things break the wrong way when you when you play that way. It's much better than just settling for what you can get by playing it safe. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we will see what happens uh, at Old Trafford on Monday night. It's not been a particularly happy hunting ground for Arsenal down the years, but hopefully, hopefully um, your three quarters uh, full glass will will see us through, James. Um, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure as always. Thank you very much indeed to James. You can find him on Twitter at James Benj. That is at James Benj. And of course, writing about Arsenal for Football London. We're going to look ahead to Manchester United on Monday with Musa Okwanga right after this important bulletin. Arsenal Football Club today announced their five captains for the upcoming season. The players chosen are Stedman P. Dankworth, Harold Harry Fortemeyer, Clive Birdwhistle, Ackley St. Burgess, and Fairfax Quimmington III. The club also announced five backup captains in case any of the incumbents fall foul of scarlet fever or consumption. They are Hendrik Lamere, 
Winston Jamson Pillage, Marvin Words, Malcolm Spanner, and John. Chairman Sir Chips Keswick said... There's more captains than I've killed chimney sweeps this week. Meanwhile, the search for a new manager continues. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Arsenal take on Manchester United at Old Trafford on Monday night and with me to look ahead to that game from a Manchester United perspective and always interesting to get his uh, take on what's happening at Arsenal as well. Delighted to welcome back to the show the co-host of a brand new podcast called Stadio. It's Musa Okwanga. Hi, Musa. Hey, how you doing? I am am all right. How are you doing Uh, (laughs) is a a question. I'm I'm, I'm looking ahead to the Arsenal fixture, but I'm not looking forward to it. I think that's fair to say. (laughs) Listen, I'll get this out of the way first and foremost. Uh, You know, I I can only speak for myself, but if there's any team that you need to face (laughs) that can provide you with the uh, confidence-boosting win that you need, it's Arsenal. I know it's. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like that from your perspective, but that's why I'm looking at this going, oh my God, I know they're in a bit of a mess. I know things aren't great at United right now, but if there's any team that can, you know, you know that, you know that scene in Pulp Fiction where, <laughs> is it uh, Uma Thurman who is overdosing on the heroin that she snorted and they have to like get, yes. the, they have to get the, the, uh, the, the syringe and lift. plunge it into our heart. We are uh, that syringe from a football uh, point uh, of view. Uh, uh. But, yeah, but like, but Uma Thurman, like Uma Thurman and Pulp Fiction, they provide the high point in the entire movie. It's her dancing on the dance floor, isn't it? Like, that's Arsenal. They give you the lows, but they give you the highs as well. Okay. And <laughs> they've hit those. They've hit those heights. I mean, I know Arsenal fans listening will be despondent, but you what? You scored fifteen goals in September. Like you're actually scoring goals. Like yeah. It's not really yeah. the scoring of goals that's worrying people. It, it's more about the, you know, the the inability to prevent the opposition having many more chances to score goals than than we do. You know, our defensive uh, frailties are are there for all to see. And you know, when you've got Aubameyang, when you've got Pepe, when you've got Lacazette, when you've got some of the young players coming through, it's not so much the the worry that we can't score goals. It's just the the the, the terrifying nature of watching teams cut us open at will through um, through our midfield and then get to the box where where our central defenders are finding new and inventive ways to fuck things up. Yeah, but you know what? I think Arsenal and United, I mean, if you look at United this year, the problem we have is similar to yours, but I think it's, it's less dramatic, but it's in many ways more damaging because Manchester United right now are a bit like, you know when you move house, right? Yeah. But you haven't packed everything properly because you're moving quickly and you basically like the first two or three days 
you're like sitting on boxes, right? Sure. That is United right now. You're sitting on boxes and you've got like, you open the drawer to get cutlery out and there's like six knives in there and there's no forks. <laughs> that, that, that is United right now. We're like that. Like there's nothing. There are so many ill-fitting pieces. And I know that Arsenal have ill-fitting pieces. Don't get me wrong. But United, it's like, it's like we didn't even pack the seasoning when we moved house. <laughs> there's no spice in, there's no spice in that meal it's like there's bland bland like we're like celery you look at our midfield celery. and there's no <laughs> yeah there's there's no plan it's not even like it's abject it's not abject that's the problem it's just very very i mean i think luke moore um from football ramble tweeted something uh about how united have just we're just absolutely average mm. we're like a kind of we're like an ac milan you know we're an ornament sure and it's you know um, it's a it's a yeah. it's a change obviously because look you, we can trace it all back I think to the departure of Ferguson in a way um, mm. uh, and obviously since then there's been some success in in terms of winning actual trophies Van Hal won the FA Cup Mourinho won uh, the Europa League but you know when, when it comes to to a sort of strategy about how to rebuild your team in order to make it properly competitive again in in the Premier League, a team that can challenge for the Premier League. And that's obviously something that Arsenal are undergoing as well. It it doesn't seem to have been done with much more thought than let's spend a shitload of money on players because that seems to be, you know, the easiest and simplest way to do it, it, you know, fans can see a club spending money, so you can't really question the ambition. Where it feels to me like you've got to a point where, you know, fans, I guess, are are saying it's not really how much money you spend, but how you spend the money. So it goes, you know, right to the top, I guess. And and I want to ask you about Ed Woodward and his continued role in in running the club, um, and what's the perspective on him? Because we can talk about Solskjaer in a minute. But yeah, it feels to me like there is a bit of a, um, if not a shift, like more emphasis is being placed on on those people and what they're doing with the vast resources that United have. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. You look at, um, in terms of the emphasis, you look at some like Woodward and you think, the players that he brought in, firstly in his defence, because I don't want to be completely negative, he brought in Daniel James, who's been excellent. Mm. Um he got rid of a couple of players who maybe didn't quite fit the system that Solskjaer wanted. So he got rid of Romelu Lukaku, who looks a lot happier into Milan. And on a personal level, as a human being, I'm just happy for Lukaku. He did fight to get out, but, you know, not the first player to have done that won't be the last. I'm just happy for him that he's got a club where he's happy in scoring goals. Um, Juan Bissaka has been terrific, and so has Harry Maguire. So he's brought in, actually, three excellent young players. But there's an incomplete nature to the work he's done. And that's the problem. When you're a sporting director acting that role, you need an overall strategy. And the problem here is the absence of a plan. Uh, And when you're up against teams, clubs as well run as, you know, clubs like Spurs who are struggling at the moment and, you know, even Arsenal to a certain extent, uh, Liverpool and Manchester City, you can't afford to make these elementary mistakes that uh, Edward has made. I saw um, Twitter account Grace on Football, who does a lot of stats. Grace tweeted how actually United's um, expected goals this season is greater than it was under Mourinho when we came second. The problem is that that's even more damning for Wood because it means you don't have a goal scorer. We don't have goal scorers. Mm. So 
I mean, we don't also, we also don't have um, goal scorers from attacking midfield positions. You look at Jesse Lingard, for example, who's not carrying the weight at all. Fred, who's been abject. Andreas Pereira, who's been an absentee in attack. It, you know, he's been playing, but barely visible in that sense. So there's a curious lack of intensity. And unfortunately, Wood just doesn't know what he's... He overall doesn't really know what he's doing. And, you know, the Glazers will be criticised, and rightly so. At the same time, they have provided money. And there's an argument that the money available, had it been spent properly, would see United not necessarily in contention for the title, because I frankly think we're 10 years from mounting a title challenge at this point Mm. on this trajectory. I think we're 10 years away. I really mean that from actually trying to win a title. Um, But the real problem is that Woodward doesn't seem to have the blend or the nous, the blend blend of skills or or the nous to really get the job done. So Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Uh, took over last season and had a huge impact straight away. And I think, you know, I I think part of that was because it was so bad under Mourinho. It was so toxic under Mourinho that it it must have felt like, you know, breathing clean air again, having had your head stuck up a, you know, a giant's arsehole, something uh, like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, I know it's a disturbing image. I apologize to everybody for that. But, um, you know, the bump that he got was obviously because of just a, a sense of freedom, a sense of liberation, a sense of, okay, this is new and fresh and we can enjoy this again. And players clearly weren't enjoying life under Mourinho. Mourinho really didn't look like he was enjoying life at, at Manchester United uh, anyway. Whether he did at any point is, is a you know is another question. Yeah. So there was that bump, and there was that really great run, and then you had you know everybody in the world um, saying, "Give him the job straight away." Rio doing his you know give him let him make his own numbers and just give him the contract, etc., etc. Yes. Since then, yes. since then. You know, there's been a, a sort of equalization or, or whatever you might call it, or just the form has not been good. You know, you won two from nine yeah. at the end of last season. Um, you've only won two so far this season. So that makes it four wins from 15 in all competitions across the back end of last season and this season. And, you know, you can talk about how it's a new campaign and you can only judge a manager, you know, based on what he's doing right now with these new players. He has a new investment in the squad. And it's sort of similar to Arsenal as well in that the people are, you know, frustration with Unai Emery isn't based just on what's happened this season. It's because of what happened at the end of, of last season as well, the failure to get the top four and also the, the Europe. Europa League final. Um, how how are you viewing the work that Solskjaer is doing? Uh, are you worried that, in some ways, it, it's sort of the 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 impact that he's had is is diminishing and diminishing a bit too quickly? Absolutely, I think. I mean, there's that um, harsh, but I think fair um, Warren Buffett quote: "It's only when the tide goes out that you can see who's been swimming naked," and. <laughs> United, yeah, we're swimming naked. Like, and that Solskjaer bears a measure of responsibility for that. But at the same time, if you look when Solskjaer first came in, United beat Spurs 1 0 away, a brilliant through ball. I think it was finished by Rashford, uh, from Pogba to Rashford, and played really well on the counter and used, were really quite clever tactically. They used um, Jesse Lingard as a false nine. Now, the funny thing there is, if you had someone like Tammy Abraham playing as a false nine, he'd be scoring goals. But Lingard was given a chance in a fluid system, which ideally suited to him and didn't take it. So actually, unfortunately, you know, Lingard is kind of swimming naked because he's just not good enough. 
if you think about it, like he was put in a system which is meant to be his best. Rio Ferdinand has said the best about Lingard is he plays on the front foot on the one touch better than anyone else. And if you're telling me that Deli Ali would not have thrived in a Solskjaer system in a 4-3-3, I would say you were wrong. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. If you put if if you put a lot of players at other clubs into the configuration that Solskjaer put them into, let's say you put Harry Winks into a 4-3-3 as one of the eights. You could see that team immediately improving, right? Mm. I think the problem is primarily one of personnel. I don't think Solskjaer is actually coaching the team as badly as it might appear. I just don't think the players are of the calibre, if that makes sense. I really think that's it, because if you look at the changes he's made, like Solskjaer came straight in, and what did he do? He took Phil Jones out of the team. He put Chris Smalling on loan. Automatically, we have players that can play out from the back. We couldn't do that last year, right? That was a big change that he made. We got one Bissaka at right back. That was a huge change. Luke Shaw was in better form. Daniel James has played some great football. Rashford has been streaky, but there's been signs of quality there. And I think Rashford's problems are longer term. Rashford's been played in so many different positions that he's lost the striking touch. And we all know that striker who's not played consistently in his best position will go off the boil. So Solskjaer bears a measure of responsibility, but I don't think he bears the bulk of it. Right. I think that actually the players and those doing the recruitment of the club are actually more culpable than he is. So do you feel like this summer has been a bit of a step forward? I mean, obviously you can't address all the issues that a team has in, in one transfer window. Um, right. Uh, and I think there's a similarity between between United and Arsenal in that I feel like a lot of our problems stem from the centre of our midfield, that we don't yep. have the the quality in there or the consistency or the the um, the profile of player that you need in the Premier League to, A, be effective and, B, also to control football matches. And, and you know, from my point of view, from an Arsenal point of view, the lack of control is, is a worry because... You know, that was something that we were always very good at. Whether we had the end product at times, that was a different question. But, you know, you knew Arsenal could go um, to against almost every opposition in the Premier League. Not always, but pretty much everybody and control large parts of the game. We could be ineffective and we could be that team that had 70% possession and conceded to the first shot on target that the... Uh, that the opposition had, but now it's kind of gone too far the other way that we don't have any real control and it's kind of helter-skelter and the players are always scrambling to to try and make up for it. And with United, when I look at the options that you have in the centre of midfield, it, it feels like that issue is quite similar. Well, you know, it's crazy to me, and this is right. I look in, we all watch these clubs every week, right? And it's astonishing to me like, you know, we watch a lot of football in different countries. It's astonishing to me that someone like Arangiz at Bayer Leverkusen has never been playing in the Premier League, like Chile, the Chile midfielder who's been brilliant for years, doing his work under the radar. It's amazing to me that the Mexican midfielder, uh, Hector Herrera, just slightly went to Atletico Madrid this summer with no other fanfare and has actually played really well already for them. And it's like, what football are these recruiters watching? Like, you have literally people who would come right into a team and do a great job a far better job than the players already there. And it's it's this strange... I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how football clubs are actually run. In fact, no, actually, no, I've got, a, I've got a better idea of this. Let me go into this. Sure. I, am, I, remember, I remember talking years ago about uh, Victor Wanyama potentially going to Arsenal, right? This was way back. I think it was at Southampton or was it Celtic? I'm not Celtic, sure it was. maybe, yeah. Right, right. So Wanyama basically... There, an offer came in for him and it was a few million and Arsenal wouldn't meet... 
the price that the other club was going to pay. So he went somewhere else. It was Southampton at that point. Then he went to Spurs, I think, so I'm not sure. Yeah. They wouldn't meet, they wouldn't like raise the price. And the person, a friend of a friend basically went to work for Arsenal that summer and, and quit again in a few months in frustration because they just couldn't understand the refusal, the reluctance to meet the asking price. And this stuff is just, it really looks sometimes from the outside, it's like, oh my goodness, they can't be that hapless. Sometimes they are. Like, sometimes they are. Look at United with, with uh, Fernandez at Sporting Lisbon. Mm. There was a player that scores goals in midfield, doesn't really press, but scores goals. The kind of player you need making late runs. A player we haven't had that kind of player in years, right? Mm. A player that can support Pogba as another eight. You put McTominay, Pogba and Fernandez, you could do something with that. There's not enough tackling that midfield, but it, it's a start, right? Mm. And to not even pursue a player like that, with great it's wild yeah i guess there are things you know that we look at from the outside um and we can't find any sense or logic to them but there are certainly things going on in the background and behind the scenes which might inform some of those decisions and look you don't need to explain it to me certainly um, Right, right right you know as as uh as an Arsenal fan for many years, we had that issue quite a lot with Arsene Wenger, where things that seemed like the most obvious thing in the world to do just never, never, um, yeah. never took place, or weird things that didn't make that much sense um, went down instead. You know, there was a, a an interview a, a couple of months back with the guy who was our. Uh, he was our like transfer fixer. Dick Law was his name, and um, Charles Watson Gold did a, a series of interviews with him, and and he talked about how they, you know, they couldn't justify the money that they would have to spend to get Eden Hazard from Chelsea, and I can kind of understand it from from right. a you know a, a logical point of view. Um, maybe it's a bit of a risk. So they went and they paid half as much again for Gervinho, who didn't really work out, who you know was sold at a loss. Whereas if you, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, of course, but sometimes if you push the boat out a little bit, you're rewarded down the line and you can sell, you know, Hazard went for 80 odd million with a year left on, on his contract. You know, he was always going to be a, a saleable asset, you know? But here's the thing, but here's my cynicism about it. It's not even hindsight, it's foresight. Everyone knew what Hazard was at Lille. Yeah. Everyone knew, everyone knew um, who Arturo Vidal was at Bayer Leverkusen. Everyone knew. Mm. When, Ar- when Arturo Vidal was at, was at Leverkusen, Evan was like, if you get that guy, you're going to be a contender for the next six years. And he's been that. He's literally been that. And this is my frustration. It's like, when it was like when Kevin Keegan was managing England and Keegan was making mistakes that most people from the outside were like, that's not a good look. When you have casual observers like me and you looking from the outside and going, something is seriously wrong. Mm. Alarm bells must be ringing. Like, does that make sense? Like, it, it's yeah. so... And I think sometimes that what we can call, um, I'm wary of using sort of slightly ableist language, um, so I won't say paralysis of analysis, like the inertia of analysis. I think sometimes managers can overthink things. Guardiola actually is absolutely guilty of that. Pep Guardiola definitely overthinks the Champions League. And I think sometimes, look at Emery, I think Emery overthinks things, <laughs> right? Because the strategy of playing out from the back, for example, yeah. um, or the way he wants to play, I, I like Emery a lot, don't get me wrong. I mean, the guy's won several Europa Leagues. He knows what he's doing in many respects. But I think Emery's problems, you know, Emery has got this weird thing where he's trying, and we'll go briefly to Arsenal for a second because he fascinates me. You've got this weird thing with Arsenal where you're not quite good enough to win the league over City and Liverpool. And you kind of know that, right? You kind of know that. Everyone like, knows. Like, it's not yeah, going to happen. Yeah. Right, yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. So this weird thing of, like, 
what is our goal then to play beautiful attacking football with young players not really we're kind of too good to do that we can't do what Arsenal do we can't make that excuse we need to get in the chasing pack we need to come third or fourth so how do we get there how do we break through because the chasing pack are pretty good this year as well we maybe sacrifice match control for for goals right and mm. I think he's done that because if you look that's the one consistent philosophy of what's happened if you look at what Valverde did um, and Luis Enrique takes that at Barca and what Emery is doing you can see that he sacrificed match control for goals like something is working at Arsenal it's just not it's not, it's not good for the blood pressure right does that make sense yes it makes sense um, yeah it's unfortunately I hate to say it but it, there is a form of a there's a controlled chaos going on at Arsenal um, I do, I do I, look I, I'm sorry to cut across you I'm not sure no. how controlled it is though that's that's kind of the thing I don't I, 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 I find it impossible to believe that this kind of chaotic mayhem that has been prevalent throughout most of our games is is by design I think it's a I think it's more to do with a manager who isn't quite sure how to is, yeah. yeah how to put together the the disparate elements of his team and I, I use that word deliberately because it feels like they're separate individual elements we've got an attack we've sort of got a midfield we've sort of got a defense and you know to be to to sort of in mitigation for Emery here you know he doesn't have any fullbacks at the moment so we've got Hector Bellerin and Kieran Tierney on the way back that's a very positive thing our central defenders um, I, I have great sympathy for anyone asked to play central defence for Arsenal um, because, you know, you're exposed and you're put under such relentless pressure that sometimes your decision-making is skewed by that, which isn't to which isn't to say that what Socrates right. and Louise have done this season is acceptable or, or, or good enough, but, um, you know, I feel that there is that pressure. So it's, it's him trying to link all those bits together in a way right. um, that... that I guess he wants some measure of coherence. So he thinks playing out from the back, let's do that. Because that way we can just play out from the back and we can get it to midfield and then midfield can hopefully get it to our attack. But we're, you know, we're bad at playing out from the back and then we have to change, you know, it, it, it just feels like we're, and he is sort of scrambling to make something work. And when something doesn't work, he tries something else. And when that doesn't work, he tries something else. And I think that just sort of um, bleeds into the, into the players and there's this air of confusion over everything that we're trying to do. You're basically Real Madrid with worse players. That's the problem. Like Real Madrid can cover a multitude of sins. They've got Rodrigo. They've got you know all those different players, Hazard, that can come in and cover the multitude of sins. And like I say, Arsenal in that weird position where you're kind of keeping Spurs at bay. That's important because it's for the press. You know, if if you're not going to be the best team in the country, then at least be the best team in the chasing pack and the best team in London. Um, there's so many weird variables. And also there's the fact that like other teams this year are smart or coming at you in different ways. Yeah. Um, and other teams have reconfigured. Like, and it, <laughs> I mean, the Premier League this year is as wild as a bag of cats. It's absolutely wild. Like the traditional threats are not the threats you thought they were. One week Watford look like the Watford when they first came up. Other weeks they look like... I mean, I'm not going to name names of clubs that have gone and plummeted out of the Premier no, League. I, I know like what one you of those mean. teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right, right, exactly. So there's a measure of sympathy. And I, I think the one thing I'll say about Arsenal is at least you're scoring goals. If you look at the Premier League historically in the last few years anyway, it's been about firepower. Mm. And if you've got firepower, you're going to be okay. To be honest, Arsenal are one 
return from injury or one, um, it, it could be a midfield coming back from injury or a midfielder, they're one return from injury away from actually being a coherent attacking team. I'm not saying a defensive team, but mm. a coherent attacking team. If you work, I would almost say with Arsenal, just score, focus primarily on scoring goals. Yeah, like, I, I can see that. I can see that the strength in this team lies in attack. But also, you know, we've scored 11 goals in the Premier League so far this season. We've conceded 10. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not really sustainable. And I know that, you know, it, there are wild variations between teams because Watford looks so good against us and then they look like, you know, hapless part-timers against Manchester City, which, of course, you know, can be down to the quality of City. But also, you know, it's hard not to read something into it from from an Arsenal point of view as well. So, you know, I see, I see this... Uh, this need to focus on where we're best, and I think that's absolutely right. That if you want to, if you want to achieve something this season with this Arsenal squad, make your attack as effective as it can be. But I feel like part of part of making the attack as effective as it can be is a having at least some kind of defensive platform, and b a midfield that um, comes close to being functional. Yeah, well, it's funny. If you had Maguire, I think he'd solve a ton of problems. Um, mm. having said that I would never swap Maguire for Lacazette because if we did that I think we'd be in the relegation spots fairly soon mm. and United it's so weird it's almost like we have half the team that you need and you have a half the team that we need because if United had Lacazette we'd be you know quite a few points better off we just don't have a dead-eyed finisher which is wild considering we have Rashford and Martial who at one point I would have said were top 15 talents young talents in the in the world now, unfortunately, I'm not sure they are, actually. Yeah. I think they've dropped out of the top 50. It can happen, Pretty- though, can't it? You know, with the young players, they, they sort of, um, they plateau or they need they need something as well to, to sort of kickstart them again. Like, they, they, they get to a point and then they hit a plateau and then they either... They either kick on again, they get this rocket fuel injection of a new manager or being at the right club or being part of a great team, or they can just kind of chug along and it becomes more mentorship. difficult. Look at like Henri and Adebayor. That was a classic example. I think when Arsenal beat um, Villa 5-0, I think it was, and I think Arsenal and Adebayor, I think Henri and Adebayor up, to, up front together, and you can kind of see that handover happening and also the, you know, the departed um, Reyes and, and Henri as well. You saw that kind of the handover in process. And the problem with United is we've had no handover process, right? Does that mm. make sense? You've suddenly yeah, yeah, yeah. got Rashford expected to carry 25 goals a year. But that's a lot of goals to get against a sophisticated... Because these days, you can't just be a soloist and score against any team, which is what Alexis Sanchez found in the latest stages of his Arsenal career. You can't just be a talented soloist and go out and wing it because these teams now have attacking, have defensive schemes that can stop you. Yeah. Um, and now you're, you're expecting like a young player earning his craft to go out there and deconstruct, like dismantle elite defences. It's not going to happen. No. It's not going to. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not going to happen. So, so we're in a curious spot. Mm. So tell me, you know, what, what would be a successful season for United in your opinion at this point? Would top four, would top four and getting back into the Champions League, which is kind of what I see a successful season for Arsenal being, would that be good enough at this point um, to sort of begin a, a process of rebuilding? It would be astonishing. It would be astonishing. <laughs> I don't see where the goals are coming from. I don't see where the goals are coming from. We're not better than Leicester. We're not better than West Ham. We're not better than Spurs. City, of course. I mean, Liverpool. Arsenal. We're not. We're not better. We're not better than any of those teams. We're not better than Chelsea. I don't think. Mm. 
you know, we're not better than any of those football teams. So for us to be in the top four, I think is, I think it's absolutely fanciful. It's fanciful. What we scored six goals, and these aren't these haven't been particularly brutal fixtures. We've scored six goals, conceded twice. Uh, so, so we've scored eight goals, conceded um, six. Six, yeah. That's that, that, that's dead mid table. That's dead mid table. We're eighth at the moment, and I can see us finishing. Absolutely, can see us finishing seventh or eighth. I mean, that's not going to be good enough to save Solskjaer's job if he lasts, you know, that long in a season where where that kind of an outcome looks um, looks likely. Um, I think he'll keep it though for another year. Do you know why? Because the kinds of assurances you'd have to give. I mean, the thing that I think will force the Glazers' hands, right? I think will be the profits aren't that impressive. Given United's turnover, the operating profits are pretty low. And the Glazers fundamentally bought United to offload debt and make a profit eventually. But the returns are pretty grim. People aren't enjoying the product. Sponsors aren't going, oh, yeah, great, let's watch United with the people with, with, with the company. Because, frankly, who wants United tickets? Who wants free tickets to watch United? Yeah, who You're wants... Going, yeah, it's yeah, the, you, the, the blue you know. chip element, isn't it? It's the same with Arsenal. Like, how can you sell top-end sponsorship? How can you sell your corporate boxes when you're playing Europa League football? You just can't do it. Exactly. And then when you turn up to watch it, I mean, at least Arsenal are entertaining. Love mm. of God, they're entertaining. But you, yeah, you, they're, I've got to give them that. They're entertaining. If you come to an Arsenal game, if I was a, a corporate type and someone said, come watch a Premier League game at Arsenal, I'd think, absolutely. Because well, I'm going to see... Anything could fluid, happen. Yeah, I, yeah I'm going to see fluid football. I'm going to see excitement. United, I'm going to see tedium. Do you know what? The, do you know why United have been so dull this year that the abuse isn't even that inspired? There's not even people. people, people you know, this not, the insults not even creative. People have lost their spirit. People, the nerves have been dulled. And I think the Glazers aren't stupid. They're going to be like this product. United is a product, and it's not entertaining. It's not offering a return investment. It's not electrifying. The leverage that Woodward has will be diminished, and that is where I think managers, a really smart manager, would have their agent in touch with the Glazers directly. Yeah. And be like, our manager, this is what a really smart manager would do. Get your agent. It's actually quite a Mourinho tactic, although he's not the right guy for it, but for the job. But a very smart manager would go directly to Glazers to be, listen, this club is an incredible opportunity. We believe we can boost shareholder returns. We're going to play exciting football off the field. But that dude has to go because we need to build a team mm. that is commensurate with that sporting success. And he is the problem. Yeah, he is the problem and we're going to come back to you in six months you're going to say no because you've given Solskjaer a contract we'll come back to you in six months 12 months and we're going to say see we mm. have a plan for this team and that guy's the guy in the way get rid of the manager get rid of the uh, uh, executive chairman and we'll do the job give us three years to turn things around Yeah, that's what that's what United need actually yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of mad, though, isn't it, to think that they need a saviour from the outside coming in to pitch, like, on Dragon's Den to, to say, you know, I'm, I'm what can save your football club, not the people actually running it at this moment in time. And I think, you know, if there are frustrations um, at Arsenal this season, and that there certainly are in terms of the football that we're playing and the way the team is performing... What what gives people a bit more hope is the fact that behind the scenes, it looks like there are better people making decisions there now. 
um, about what we do, how we operate, um, who comes yep. in. There's a, you know, Ed who is in as technical director. Raul Sanyehi, uh, at this moment in time, you know, could walk on water um, given his stature among Arsenal fans. Even even David Luiz hasn't diminished that at this moment in time. But yeah. I think with United, it's it's the worry is... Um, who's going to make that decision um, internally? And that's where they need to come from. Do you know what needs to happen? I think Tuchel needs to pitch himself to United because Tuchel is probably going to get bored at PSG. It's not exciting. If and I really think it's a guy like that because Tuchel, what did he do? He wound up everyone at Dortmund. He upset the senior management there because he wanted things done a certain way. But he's also used to working with big money people. He's used to working with Qatar. He's used to those expectations. And I think this is a rare case at United, but you need someone to come in and do it. Mm. Um, and I think he would have a free reign, someone like that. Uh, but he's really the only profile of manager at the moment that could be remotely available that I would actually recommend doing it. Mm. Um, he's the only dude. But I think... <laughs> Poch- I think Pochettino, yeah. Pochettino. <laughs> well, no, no, because I wouldn't wish on Pochettino. Do you know why? Because Pochettino is amazing, but he likes a well-run club and he likes stability. Mm. And... He doesn't have that thing of like, if you look at him, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a company man, but he's someone who is, you know, he does go with the flow. Yeah, he's outspoken, but he, he likes a good structure. He trusts in the system. When he didn't get any money last year, you didn't really hear him come out and complain as much as he was entitled to, to be fair to him. Mm. And I guess I've got a soft spot for Pochino because I see what he's done with Spurs. I feel like someone who's brought a club like that back to a place of prominence. I mean, Spurs haven't been that exciting, let's be honest, or that consistent a threat since the 60s they haven't not in the league not yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I just don't feel like Tuchel uh, I think that Tuchel has a more of a personality profile to come in to United and do more of a scorched earth I would love Pochino to get a job somewhere like Barca to be honest where it's slightly I mean it's not stable by, well, by comparison it's stable yeah, yeah he can't do Barca can he because he was an Espanol man so uh, you know he might end up in he might end up in Madrid at some point uh, Musa we better leave it there but just very quickly tell people yeah. about the new podcast because um, you're obviously a United fan but your co-host Ryan is an Arsenal fan um, he is it's yeah. called Stadio so w- what's on the agenda every week well every week at Stadio we basically try to take a a broader look at football. So we don't just say like, oh, here's a roundup of the games. You try to pick out a theme. So for example, we look at playing out from the back, like whether this is a fad that's gone too far. We might look at like one, we might look at the rise of the number eight and look at, let's say the role of Gundogan um, or the role of Tony Cross um, for Real Madrid. So we basically look at all the games and, you know, the women's football, we look at the men's football uh, fairly equal. We try to cover it equally. And we really just get into the game on and off the field. Um, lots of references to pop culture. We play out with great music every week. So yeah, that's kind of the idea. Cool. Okay, it's called Stadio. You will find it wherever you get podcasts. So do a search for that. Subscribe. Musa, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You're a star. Cheers, mate. Thanks to Musa. You can find him on Twitter at Okwanga, at Okwanga. And if you want to check out the podcast, it's called Stadio. That's on Twitter at Stadio. Uh, and Musa co-hosts that with Ryan. Hello, Ryan, who is a big Arsenal fan. So if you are looking for another football podcast, I realize there aren't too many of them out there. So every little bit of choice, of course, is welcome. The podcast is called Stadio. Right. What else is there? I don't really know, to be honest, because, well, it's Thursday evening, it's uh, my birthday, and uh, rather than being out celebrating, I'm here recording a podcast for all you guys. 
not out there painting the town red or yellow or yellow and blue or any other color, any other Arsenal-related color you can think of. I'm not doing that. I wouldn't be doing it anyway. It's, you know, I'm too old now. Too old for all the shenanigans that, uh, that involve going out on a school night and waking up on a school morning thinking, oh, I shouldn't have gone out. I should have stayed in. But I'm probably going to stay in and drink a couple of beers. That's about as exciting as it gets when you get to, what am I now, 31, two, something like that. I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be an Arsenal-free weekend, <laughs> as I said. That means that there won't be an Arsecast Extra on Monday because we're not playing until Monday night. James and I will be here on Tuesday morning to go over whatever the hell is going to happen at Old Trafford. I have my fears about what's going to go down there. I really do. But who knows? We might get a nice surprise. I think we deserve it. I think so. We've gone through a lot already this season. It feels like we could do with, you know, one of those results. A yes, come on, stick that up your whole result. We need one of those. That would do a lot to lift the mood. Uh, we'll be blogging and newsing uh, on Arsblog and Arsblog News, of course, across the weekend. And um, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm sure there was something else I was meant to talk about on the podcast today, but I can't remember. And I'm sure if I think of it again, I can do a whole other podcast about that thing, unless it's something really small, in which case I might just, you know, send a tweet or something like that. Um, Have yourselves a great weekend. Um, I don't know who's playing who this weekend. Is there anything good happening in terms of football that's on that uh, we should be particularly interested in? Saturday, Sheffield United going to get beat by Liverpool. Aston Villa, Burnley, who cares? Bournemouth, West Ham, who cares? Brighton are going to lose to Chelsea. Crystal Palace, Norwich City, who cares? Tottenham, Southampton. Come on, Southampton. Wolves and Watford, Everton, Man City, uh, and then Leicester, Newcastle. So, yeah, not particularly exciting fixtures this weekend. So we're going to have to endure Arsenal-free time over the weekend. If Tottenham lose, that would be grand. And hopefully we can do what we need to do at Old Trafford on Monday night. I'm waffling. It's time to go. I will catch you on the next one. Thank you as ever for being here. Take it easy. Bye-bye. I've got to say, I'm uh, immensely grateful to you for everything you've done over the issue of the captaincy over the last few years. I used to be a believer in one captain. I thought one captain and a vice captain was, was the ideal way to go. I believed that having that one true leader was the best thing for us. Then something monumental happened and... 
completely changed my view on the on the whole situation. Uh, good evening, Mark. Uh, what was that uh, monumental thing? Well, I got kicked in the head by a horse. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.